Well, Fred said it in his prayer. He kind of took away the oomph of my first paragraph, but we're not homeless anymore. It's great. We're very excited. Thank you to everyone who prayed for us and was concerned for us. We got in our house the day before Thanksgiving. So we spent Thursday unpacking boxes. We actually celebrated Thanksgiving on Friday. Nothing like uh, having to unpack your kitchen in order to have a big meal. So it was like this double thing that we got to do together. Um, I need to take a moment because this season is all about waiting. This Advent season, it's not just about um, waiting passively, it's about hope, and I think there's a difference, and we're going to talk about this in the sermon, but as I was listening to Jeff read the story, I just realized how bad I am at waiting. I had to wait for two and a half weeks to get into my house, and I did not wait happily. I was a little bit bitter. And yesterday, my in-laws are in town. They came in town for Thanksgiving, and yesterday we wanted to drive them into the city to see the arch. And it was just going to be a quick trip. We were just going to go in. We weren't even going to get out. We were going to look. We were going to drive back home. I was going to keep doing some stuff. But we're new here, and maps don't always help. So we got a little bit lost, and then we were looking for a store, and then we got a little bit lost again, and then the route that it took us went through all these neighborhoods instead of the highways, and two and a half hours later, we got home. I did not do well with that either. (laughs) And I was like, I just sat there going, we're talking about waiting today, and I need to learn how to do this better. So we are going to preach this sermon. I'm going to tell you about all of this. But I just needed to start with that confession, and we'll get to it more, especially as the Advent season comes. So we good. When we were at Thanksgiving dinner yesterday, my nine-year-old looked at me and goes, Mom, I have a very serious question for you that I've been wanting to ask for a very long time. And, and I, I thought, thought that, that Joey in that face that you just made, that's exactly what I would, wait, what? what? Okay, okay, so, so I, I see my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, my husband, our two young children. What could she have to ask me that we need to deal with right now? And I had to kind of weigh the risks, like, should I, should I open up the invitation? Should I let her do it? Is this going to be okay? And I said, okay, Zoe, go ahead. What's going on? And she said, I want to know where my name came from. Like, where did you get the name Zoe? I also want to know my middle name, Grace, but where did you get my name from? And I thought, okay, of all the things that I thought you could ask right now, that's fine. We can totally talk about where your name came from. Uh, But then the baby started fussing because she wanted to get out of her high chair. And then the toddler started fussing because, I don't know, his macaroni and cheese was the wrong shade of orange or something. You know how toddlers are. Um, So I said, well, Zoe, here's the deal. It's a long story, but I will just say that the name Zoe... The word Zoe is life in Greek, and we feel like we were given your life by the grace of God, so we named you Zoe Grace. And she was totally satisfied with that answer. And one day, Zoe, I want to tell you the whole story because it is an origin story for her. It's a story that even though she wasn't born yet, it explains the circumstances that we were going through and the circumstances surrounding her birth and how she got her name and why it means so much to us. And this story about Zechariah that Jeff just read for us, this story is one of Jesus' origin stories too, even though he wasn't born yet. It's a story that gives us deeper meaning as to who he is, to all the things that God set into motion surrounding his birth. We often retell the story of his birth, and if you've been around church for a while, we can probably do it for memory, right? No room in the inn, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, angels, all of those wonderful things. 
But Zechariah's story is also part of the origin stories, and I'm excited. Um, so there's so much about this story to love. It was one of the most difficult sermons I have ever written. I had the hardest time putting this together because, and I'm being completely sincere when I say this, this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. I love it. I know all the details. I know the details about the details, and I want you to love it as much as I do. And so I don't want to just preach a sermon. I want to tell you everything I know about this story so that you will love it as much as I do. And I thought we would be here for hours, and this is not going to go well. So we're going to talk about the story, how it relates to hope. There's so much bizarre, interesting, delightful things about this story. But this being the first Sunday of Advent, we're going to look at this story through the lens of hope. But I want to say, um, this did not make it into your worship guide in the schedule, so I'm just going to add this really quickly. On December 4th, uh, that's next Sunday, on Sunday night, we have Manna and Youth and Young Children. We are also going to offer an adult Bible study. Um, Brenda has already agreed to have child care for the youngest of our kids. So any kids can come to the child care. We're going to do it from 537. And do you know what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about this story about Zachariah because I want to tell you all the details and everything I know. So fair warning, if you don't want to hear that, just don't come. Enjoy your Sunday night. But I wanted to put that out there now. So Jeff read it. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to retell the story for us because we, we heard it when he read it, but I want to hear it again in a different way, and I want us to hear it together. And then we're going to ask a few questions, and we're going to wonder about it. So I'm just going to tell it to you how I know it. There's this priest named Zechariah, and he, it's his turn to go light the altar, light the incense on the altar in the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, the place where God lives. It's like a big deal. This guy feels like he's probably a big deal, but we have been told that he's super old, and his wife is also very old, and they cannot have children. And Luke made a point to tell us before he told us that detail that they're righteous and faithful and blameless before God because back then there was a stigma that if you didn't have kids, there was something wrong with you. People would like whisper as you went by, like, what? what did they do? Why did they make God mad that God never gave them kids? But we know they were righteous, we know they were blameless, and we know that it was Elijah's turn to go light the altar of incense. So everybody else is outside. He's the only one in the temple. And he's lighting the altar, and all of a sudden this angel appears to the right side of the altar of incense, and the Bible tells us that he is terrified. And the angel's like, hey, don't be afraid. Like, they say that all the time, right? Hey, don't be afraid. I'm just an angel. You can chill out. It's going to be okay. And the angel starts telling Zechariah, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. Here's how I want you to raise him. Here's what he's going to be. And he says all of these incredible prophecies about John the Baptist, but I don't think Zechariah heard any of them. Because when the angel finishes talking, Zechariah goes, how am I going to know that this will happen? I'm old. My wife is getting older. How am I going to know? Which I translate as, um, can you prove it? I'm not sure I believe you. Tell me. Tell me the truth. How do I know? Now the angel Gabriel, Jeff, I love the way you read this for us. The angel Gabriel, he got a little bit of an attitude. He was like, my translation, he's like, um, excuse me? Do you know who I am? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sitting here to give you a message, and you have the audacity to question it? 
Therefore, I'm going to strike you silent. You don't like what I have to say? Okay, you don't get to say anything anymore. That's kind of how I feel. The angel responded to Zechariah. So Zechariah is silent for this entire rest of the time. We know that he goes home. We know that Elizabeth conceives. We know that he waits for nine months. And we'll talk about the rest of that as we get on into the Advent season, because there's definitely more to this story. But what I want to focus on today is that time of silence for Zechariah, is that moment where the angel said, because you did not believe, you get to be silent until these things are fulfilled. When I first read this story, I thought that Zechariah was kind of a jerk. Like, dude, an angel just showed up, an angel, and says, hey, good news, you're going to have a baby. And Zechariah's like, I don't know if I believe you. It's like, what kind of person would do that? Like, why would you just automatically, I get that you're obviously supernatural. I was terrified just two seconds ago, but now I don't really believe what you said. But when I actually think a little bit deeper about their story, I don't really blame Zechariah for this. With all the things going on, with how often he had probably prayed for this child, years and years and years, knowing what it meant to have a child, knowing what it meant to his wife. When the angel appears, he says, by the way, your prayers have been heard. So we know this was a deep, deep longing of his heart. And he had prayed for years and years. And it had happened. And as the years went by, and as he got older, and as his wife got older, it started to seem like this was never, ever going to happen. And I imagine that his hope just kept dwindling. So I don't blame him for this question. But I also don't know if it was exactly the way it seems to be. Wonder with me for this for a second. A lot of biblical scholars think that this uh, silence was the angel's punishment, right? The angel says, you didn't believe, and therefore you have to be silent. What if it wasn't punishment? I read one biblical commentator that said, what if it was just the natural response of being like um, confronted with the holy? We have, script, we have stories all over scripture where people were confronted with something holy and they were just struck silent because they were in such awe. But I actually think it might have been more than that. What if this silence wasn't a punishment, but it was actually a gift of grace? I told you earlier about uh, Zoe's name. And there's a lot to that story. Um, but one key detail is that Aaron and I were in the darkest time of our life. We were working at an incredibly toxic church. There were really, really mean people. Jesus tells us to love our enemies, right? That verse became real to me for the first time because for the first time in my life, I actually had enemies. I actually had people that were intentionally out to, to do us harm, to be malicious to us. This was a brand new thing for me, and I didn't know what was happening. People were trying to cause us harm, to damage our reputations, to get us fired from our job. Meanwhile, we'd been trying to have a kid for like over a year, and it just wasn't happening, and we just weren't really sure what to do, and this was all coming to a head when Aaron was called into a meeting. The personnel committee and the deacons, they had been having a secret meeting without us, and they said, hey, we need you to come in because we have to talk to you about something. We had no idea what was about to happen, but it didn't seem like it was going to be good. 
So, so as Aaron is driving away, I, I took a pregnancy test because isn't that what you do when your job is hanging in the balance? Um, I don't even know why I did it, but there it was, right there. Two little pink lines. Now, I want to be really sensitive because I know this is not everyone's story. I know that there are so many families, women, and men who would love to have kids, and that just hasn't happened for them yet. So I know that there are people who've had different experiences. This is just our story. But for us, for our story, it was like God took that moment to say, I've got you. Your story, you and Aaron's story, the story of your family, it's bigger than this church. It's bigger than what's happening. It's bigger than whatever is about to happen. And no matter what comes next, I've got you. For me, this was a tangible reminder that God was with us. And what we didn't know at the time was that meeting was just the beginning. It got way worse after that. But through it all, we had this tangible reminder, this little gift that we had been wanting for so long, something to hang on to through what was coming next. What if that was Zachariah's story too? What if the silence was a tangible reminder, a gift of grace for him? Those moments when Zachariah started to worry about Elizabeth, started to worry about what was happening, those, those moments when he started to wonder if he had imagined the whole thing, did that really happen? Was there really an angel there? He would open his mouth and try to speak, and he'd be unable to, and he would remember. He would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this had been real. What if it was a punishment at all? What if it was a gift of grace? A reminder that God was doing something. He had to wait for it, but God was doing something. I imagine it changed the way that he waited. Because there are lots of ways we can wait for things, right? Waiting... It's nothing special. Waiting is inevitable. It's a part of life. We all have to wait. Okay, so we can wait impatiently. We can wait uh, mindlessly, scrolling through our phone, right? Look at the things. We can wait angrily, where we use a lot of hand motions to violently wonder why that car didn't turn, and now we have to wait longer at this stoplight, or in my case, why my husband missed the turn, and now we're driving through St. Louis, and we don't know where we're going. There are lots of different ways for us to wait. Or we can wait with hope. I didn't ask my husband's permission before I told the story, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. And you can forgive me later. So my husband loves Kentucky Fried Chicken. Okay, I don't know what it is. It's like a deep thing for him. This is one of his favorite restaurants. He loves Kentucky Fried Chicken. And there was one day a few years ago that I had come home from work, and he was, he was in the mood. The kids had been awful. The house was a wreck, and I could just tell that he was at his limit. So I was like, hey, you know what? How about I throw the kids in the van. I'll go get us some Kentucky Fried Chicken. Okay, you can stay here, you can have some quiet time to yourself, it'll be okay. But we lived in this small town, and the nearest Kentucky Fried Chicken was like 15, 20 minutes away, depending on traffic. So I said, Aaron, you're going to have to wait a little bit for it, but I'll go, I'll get it, we'll come right back, we'll be home in like 45, 50 minutes or something. So I throw the kids in the van, we leave, we drive the 20 minutes, we get into the drive-thru, and we wait. Because Kentucky Fried Chicken is the slowest restaurant in the world, apparently. 
And we waited, and I thought, oh my gosh, my husband is going to be so mad. He's already had such a horrible day, and now this is taking longer. Y'all, I sat in that drive-thru for 30 minutes. And I almost left so many times, but I thought, no, I'm doing this for Aaron. He needs his Kentucky Fried Chicken. So I stayed, and I waited. By the time I finally got home, we had been gone for an hour and 15 minutes. And I thought, okay. Like, I took a deep breath before I walked in the door. I was going to explain to him as soon as I walked in, I'm going to hand him his chicken first, right? Here you go, honey. Here's what happened. I'm so sorry that we were so late. But I walked into the house, and I just kind of stopped because... The house was clean. The toys had been picked up. The table was set. I was like, what just happened here? So he was so excited about his Kentucky Fried Chicken that he decided to clean off the clutter on the table so that he could get ready. But then when he cleaned off the table, it like brushed some crumbs on the floor. So he was like, that's okay, I'll just sweep up the floor real fast. And as he was sleeping up the floor, he was like, gosh, there are all these toys in the way. Andrea's gonna have to walk from the living room to the kitchen and she's holding something precious. Not our baby, his Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? So he cleaned up the toys, swept up the floor, set the table, and we got home, and the house was ready for us. Aaron had to wait even longer than he thought he would for that Kentucky Fried Chicken, but he waited with anticipation and expectation and hope, and it changed the way that he waited. I imagine that that happened with Zechariah too. I imagine he waited with hope for those nine months, with this tangible reminder that God was doing something. I bet he built a crib or put a little house, a place in their house for the baby to come. Maybe he started writing down stories that he wanted to tell his son or prayers that he wanted to pray over him. Waiting with hope changes everything. Waiting with hope changes how we have to wait. In this Advent season, we too get to be people who wait with hope. Because the hope of the Advent season isn't just about remembering that Jesus was born. It's also about the reminder of hope that Jesus will come again. And we too have been given this tangible reminder. I imagine that if we look back over our lives, we may have multiple tangible reminders that we can think back to. But we have a very tangible reminder that what Christ promises is true in the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus who came and indwells and stays with us. And now, as we wait, we get to wait as people with hope. We get to work with the Spirit. We're waiting for God to rule this earth, right? We're waiting for peace. We're waiting for justice. We're waiting for a time when everyone will know that they are loved and that they are wanted by God. And so as we wait with hope, we get to participate in spreading that truth and that good news to the world around us. We don't just wait passively for the coming of Christ again. We don't just wait passively we get to participate with the Spirit like those who have hope in a story that is bigger than ourselves. Zechariah had to wait for John to be born. What might the Holy Spirit be wanting to birth in us as we wait? How might God be calling us to live, not just as people who wait, but as people who wait with hope? And how might we share that hope with the world this Advent season and beyond?